there? Everybody good? Give God a big hand, would you? He is certainly deservant of all of our praise and affirmation. I'm glad that you're in the Lord's house today. Well, we started a new series last week looking through a few of the Psalms. Uh, this series is entitled Tough Questions. And what we're doing is seeing how the book of Psalms written over 3,000 years ago engages some of the most pressing existential questions that we ask today. The first question last week was from Psalm 1, and the question was, can I be happy? Can I really be happy in life? And if so, how? Well, this week's question is kind of connected with last week's question. So let me begin by asking you this. Have you ever been in a place or a situation where you just instinctively knew something wasn't right? You've ever been there? I mean, you, it, it's kind of like a gut feeling or a sixth sense. You, you just know something in this environment is out of place. It, something is not right, and, and I really don't know if I even want to be here <laughs> or I belong here. Uh, years ago, I had a, a family in a different church that I was pastoring call me, and, and they were real nice on the phone and said, hey, could you come over? And I thought it was just for a you know, friendly visit. I thought we were going to uh, drink a Coke and have some cake or whatever. But when I walked in that house and saw the entire family sit, seated there on couches, I instinctively knew something's wrong here. Something is not right in this home and in this situation. And guess what? It wasn't. It wasn't. Now, now, let me change that a little bit and ask you, have you ever felt that way about yourself? Have you ever had the thought, something is just not right with me? And, and it's not a pain or a headache or, or a stomach virus that you have. It, there is something wrong with you that is deep, that is spiritual. It, it's, something, it's like something is not right with me internally. Some people that I know are overshadowed by this lurking sense of judgment. For some, it's because they know they've messed up. And because of messing up, they're, they're dealing with guilt and, and regret for what they've done. For others of us, we just can't quite put our finger on it, but it's like there is this dark cloud that is hovering over us, following us wherever we are, and, and, and it's almost like, here's the feeling, that we're ashamed. Something is wrong inside of us, and we're ashamed. So that really is my question. Is there something wrong with me? Now, don't answer that for me because I can't, there are a few things wrong with me, all right? Well, what I'm saying, you ask that of yourselves, and you've thought that before. Is there something wrong with me? And if so, is that what is keeping me from being happy? Well, David opened Psalm 32, and that's our psalm for today, Psalm 32. There's 11 verses. We're going to look at all 11. But he opens it with the exact same word that the psalmist used in Psalm 1 that we looked at last week. What is that first word? Blessed. Remember from the Hebrew, the word blessed literally means happy. Okay? Happy. Happy is the man. Happy is the person. Here it says, happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is what? Whose sin is covered over. Wow. So in this psalm, here's what the psalmist is going to do. He is going to connect happiness with forgiveness. 
He is going to say, in fact, you know what? There is something wrong with you. That feeling of shame and uneasiness does have a grain of truth to it, even if it's distorted. And in order for you to be happy, you're going to have to deal with it. Come on, at least smile at me right now, all right? You think, boy, this is going to be bad. Well, it gets worse, but anyway. Let's read the first four verses of this psalm and, and see what he's talking about. Again, he says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And then he turns personal here. He gives you his own testimony. He said, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand, and he's talking to God there. He said, day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. And then here's this word, selah. Now, if you've been coming to Kavanaugh any length of time on a Wednesday night and heard me preach from Psalms, and I do that quite frequently on Wednesday nights, we've talked about that word selah. Some people think the word selah is best translated there. What do you think about that? <laughs> he makes a statement, and then the word selah, what do you think about that? Literally, the word means stop and think. And so it appears here at the end of verse 4. And it's saying, stop and think about it. So you know what? That's exactly what we're going to do. <laughs> we're just going to stop and think about it. The psalmist connects this feeling of unhappiness, this sense of condemnation with God. He's saying, God, you're the one who has made me feel this way. Your hand has been heavy on me. And you know what? He's correct in doing that. Because that is part of God's job. Go back all the way to Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. And guess what they did? They blew it. They sinned. And because of their sin, they felt ashamed. Because they realized they were naked. And so they went and they hid themselves. That is the result of our sin. It's a sense of shame that we know we're not right before God. Now, not all shame is legitimate. Sometimes shame comes from suffering or abuse that really has nothing to do with you. But you know what? All of us, every single one of us in this room has this sense of soul judgment that comes from our separation with God. Why? Because we've all sinned. And we all fall short of God's glory. And the realization that you're not right on the inside and that something is wrong with you really is a gift from God. You see, guilt is not all bad. Really, it's not. It's, it's kind of like pain. Sometimes pain is just warning you that if you keep doing what you're doing, it's going to get worse. Yeah. You know? I remember when I was a kid, we used to jump our, our bicycles over ramps that we built, that we had no sense in, in you know, in what we were doing. And, and there were a few times I wrecked. If, if I would have had enough sense, I would have realized 
through the pain I was in that I needed to stop what I was doing. But it got worse, Billy, because I got a motorcycle. And then, and then it messed things up even worse. Sometimes guilt can be God's messenger showing you that, you know what, things are not right in your life. And that is exactly what the psalmist is experiencing here. It, it's like when you first shine light into a dark, dirty, abandoned room. That light reveals what is wrong in that room. But before you can clean up what is tore up, you have to come face to face with what is broken. And the first sign that God's light has come into your life you're saying what the psalmist said here. I'm going to go back to verse 4. Listen to what he said. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. It's like my strength was dried up. And again, God was doing that to this man, not because God is some mean tyrant up in heaven ruling with this golden rod and wants to bring misery on our life. God was bringing this into his life for him to wake up and deal with internal issues that he had, sin issues. You know what this is? Conviction. Now, that's a word that we don't like to use very much anymore because, you know, we don't like the repercussions of it. We don't like conviction in our own life. But conviction is a good thing. Conviction brings around change in our life. And that is exactly what the psalmist is feeling in verses 3 and 4, which brings us to verse number 5. I believe that verse 5 is the key to this entire Psalm 32. What does he say? I acknowledge my sin to you. Because of the conviction you brought into my life, because I felt like I had no strength and my life was drying up on the inside, what did I do? I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said... I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And then there's that word. What is the word? Selah. Selah. Stop and think about it. So let's stop and think about that just for a moment. And it brings us to what this psalm is really trying to say to us. He is telling us that, you know what? We can be happy. Blessed is the man. Happy is the man. We can really be happy if we do five things. And here's the first one. To find happiness, you need to be honest about your sin. Okay? He said in verse number five, I did not cover my iniquity. I did not try to cover up my sin. Now, to me, that is a clear reference back to Genesis chapter three in the Garden of Eden, because that is exactly what Adam and Eve did. When sin entered into the world, they realized that they were naked. And so what did they do? They ran and they tried to hide themselves from God. And the first thing that God did when he came to them was call them out from their hiding place. He made them uncover themselves before him. And after they were uncovered, he dealt with their sin. Now let me throw this in because we're going to come back to it in a moment. I think it is very symbolic what happened next in Genesis chapter 3. After they sinned, after they hid, after God called them out from their hiding and uncovered their sin, after he dealt with Adam, Eve, and the devil, what did God do? God covered them. He, he took one of the animals that he had created 
and he slayed it. He killed the animal to provide covering for their nakedness. Some theologians believe that the animal God chose to do that was a lamb. Hang on to that. So here's the deal. In order for God to cover their sin, he first had to uncover them. Or let me say it like this. You cover your sin, and God is going to expose it. Every single time. You know how it works. You've been there before. You try to cover the sin. You try to hide the sin. God is going to uncover it. God is going to expose it. On the other hand, if you expose your sin and tell God about it, God's going to cover it. Amen. That's good. You cover, he exposes. You expose, and then God forgives and covers it. So number one, to be happy, you're going to have to be honest with your sin. Number two, if you really want to be happy, you're going to have to own your sin. Look at verse 5 again. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I, I don't know if you counted them there, but four times in verse number 5, the psalmist uses the word my. He acknowledged, these are my sins, these are my iniquities, these are my transgressions, these are my sin. Now, the first thing that you and I typically do when our sin is exposed is we try to justify it, don't we? Huh? After that first sin in the Garden of Eden, after God brings them out from that hiding, he says, what have you done? Adam, what have you done? And what did Adam say? He said, the woman you gave me made me eat this. You know, we, we get all over Adam and Eve because he's blaming Eve there. But Adam does more than just blame the woman. He blamed God. The woman you gave me. He, he's blaming not only the woman Eve, but he's blaming God. So how does this look for you and me today living in 2020? Maybe we say something like this, well, the reason I am like this is because of the situation I've, I'm in. I mean, I've been treated badly, and therefore, it justifies my bad behavior. Or, I haven't had all the privileges that other people have had, therefore, it justifies my bad behavior. That's a big one right now. A lot of people are copping out with that. Or, you know, I've worked hard. And I, I just deserve more than what I've been given. Therefore, it justifies my bad behavior. Or, my wife is not responsive to me sexually. Therefore, I'm justified in what I'm doing and having this affair. Or, what I'm doing is really not that bad. Especially when you compare it to what everybody else is doing. You see what we're doing there? We're blaming. We're, what we're doing is, is blame shifting. We're, we're trying to justify the way we live. And you know what? You're never going to be happy if that's the way you live life. You'll never find happiness doing that. David is not about that. David is not doing that here. Yes, sure, other people have caused some of the pain and misery in his life. But what is David saying? He's saying, I own my own sins. Nobody else has caused me to do this. I have done it myself. These are my sins, my transgressions, my iniquity. So church, listen to me. God's forgiveness begins 
when the blame shifting ends. You want to be happy? You've got to own it. You've got to take responsibility for it. Number three, to find happiness, you must hate not only your sin, but you need to hate everything about it. <clears throat> not just the fact you've got caught. You need to hate the sin. In verse number five, again, verse five, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I've not hidden. I said, I will what? What's that word? I will confess. That word confess literally means seeing things from the perspective of the one that you have wronged. Let that sink in. Here's what the word confess means. I am now, I've, I've changed. Something has changed in my life. And I am seeing this offense. I'm seeing this sin from the perspective, not from my own human self, but I'm seeing it from God, the one that I've offended. Not only are you admitting it, you are changing your perspective about what sin is and what it does in your life. Now, all of you in this room know that you can confess something and not feel any differently after you confess it. Maybe, maybe you confess it with your mouth, but your heart doesn't change. The classic expression of this is when you say, if I have offended you, I am sorry. Has somebody ever done that to you? You know what that means? It means I'm not sorry the least bit. I'm not sorry for what I have done. I, I, I am sorry that you are upset about it. And let me tell you, that is not repentance. That is just cheap, selfish attempt of trying to make peace. And, and some of you are thinking, okay, when did this turn into marriage counseling? <laughs> Many people confess their sin and turn from it because of the consequences. It's painful. They got caught. They're embarrassed. Life becomes painful. But their attitude about that sin has not changed. They're just sorry they got caught. They're sorry of the pain that it's causing them. Can I tell you, that is not confession. And, and you need to see how the psalmist addresses it in verse number 9. Look at the word picture he uses. He says, don't be like this. Don't be like the mule. He actually uses the word horse in there too, but I think the term mule applies to us more than anything so he says don't be like the mule without understanding which must be curbed with bit and bridle or it will not stay near you so what he's saying is this you're being foolish if if you think a mule is following you because he loves you or because he just wants to be with you or because he likes you, or because he is convinced you have superior wisdom over him. No, the mule is not following you for any of those reasons. The only reason that mule is following you is because you have a bit in its mouth, and when you yank on that bit, it hurts. And they don't like the feeling, so they are submitting to that pain. The psalmist is saying, don't be like that. You need to change on the inside. You need to see your offense from the perspective of how God sees it. Here's the deal. God doesn't just want people who obey. 
like these mules. He wants people to obey from their hearts. He's, he's not just after obedience. He's after this new kind of obedience. Now, I know a lot of people avoid sin because they're afraid of what others may think about them if they get caught. But that's not genuine repentance either. Because you don't really hate the sin, you just hate the thought of other people knowing that you've sinned. Right? Now, I've said a lot, and you're trying to let it soak in, so let me, let me say it like this. What if I found out what you've really been doing? <laughs> Let's just pretend. What, what if I found out, what if it was brought to my knowledge that, man, you've, you've really been living a, a hypocritical life. You're coming to church, but during the week, man, you're doing some pretty bad stuff. And I threatened you. I came to you and said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to, I got all these pictures, all this information, and next Sunday what I'm going to do is throw all that stuff you've done this past month on the big screen so everybody in the church can see it. Well, you'd be mortified, wouldn't you? Yeah, I knew you'd done it. I'm just kidding. Thank you, Ronnie. We planned that beforehand. You'd be mortified. You'd say, oh, please, please, please don't do that. I'll, I'll turn over a new leaf. I'll change. I, I promise I'll never come back to that again. But here's the deal. Here's the deal of that entire situation. God already knows what you're doing. You, do you understand that? Like Miss Angie said in that last one, God sees, God knows you can't run from God. You can't hide from God. He sees everything. He knows everything. So what you are doing in this situation is saying this, I care more about what other people think about me than I care about what God knows about me. And can I tell you something? That is not confessing your sin. When your heart attitude toward the sin itself has not changed, you have not really confessed. So, in order for you to be happy, you're, you're going to learn, you're going to have to learn to hate your sin, not just its consequences. Let's move on. Number four. In order to be truly happy, you, you need to actually change the direction of your life. And let me say, you can't do that on your own. It's going to take God doing it for you. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Now, here is a man who has gone through the change, okay? He's realized he's sinned, he's confessed his sins, he's changed, he's seeing things from God's perspective now, and so in verse number 10, he talks about this newfound trust that he has. And in verse 11, he talks about this new joy that is surrounding him because he is close to God. Church, where there is no change, there has been no confession. And listen, just so you know, confession where you don't change wearies God. When you just confess with your mouth, but you're, you haven't really changed anything in your life, 
I'm telling you, that's not pleasing to God. Whew. I, I did this first service, and I didn't know if I would regret it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it again second service. I'm climbing out on a limb right now, and I got a saw with me. I'm about to chop the limb off, and we'll see what happens. But here's what I know about people. Some of you, some of you do things that you ought not be doing. And you know that. And you have just enough Bible and church culture inside of you that you know what? It makes you feel miserable on the inside. You know you need to do something about it. And so you come to church on Sunday just to try to appease God. And then you go back out and you do the same things over and over again. Some people come to church on Sunday morning with a hangover because they got so totally drunk on Saturday night, it's hanging over to Sunday morning. Preacher. Oh, yeah, it happens. I remember when I was in high school, a kid came to our church, and he, he would get so stoned on Saturday night, he'd, he'd still be smelling like marijuana when he came to church on Sunday morning. The only reason he came is because his mom and dad made him come. But a lot of you, you do things, whether, it, whether it's getting drunk or whether it's getting stoned or whether it's, it's living for the devil and, and you come and, and you just come to church on Sunday morning because you know what? You, you, think you, need to, you think you need to show up and just try to, try to kind of get things right with God because you feel bad about it. <laughs> and while you're sitting here, here's what you're thinking. Man, I hate this. I hate Sundays. When is he going to shut up so I can get out of here? You're, you're thinking that. You're, you're thinking, I hate Sundays. I hate this. You know what God is thinking? Here's what God's saying I hate it too. I hate that you. Come into my house and honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. That's what hate God hates. Now, church, please listen to me. Listen, everybody, you're always welcome here. Do you know that? The doors are always open to you. Unless you come a little late, those doors are going to be locked, but the security people will let you in, all right? Our doors are open to you. My arms are open to you. I want you in this place. God wants you in this place. But what God wants is not your attendance. What God wants is your repentance. Now, now to clarify, when I say that repentance and confession mean change, I don't mean that, that you never sin again. Because you know what? You're going to. Even when you change your perspective on sin, there's going to be times you mess up. And the Bible says the righteous fall seven times, but you know what they do? They get right back up, and they're more determined the next time. Biblical confession is not perfection. What it is is new direction. You may fall, but every time you get up and you get closer to God than you've ever been before because you hate sin. Number five, to find happiness... You need to hide in God. Now, where in the world did I get that? Well, I got it right here from this biblical text, verses 6 and 7. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my what? 
hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs. And other translations use the word shout. I like that translation. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And there we have it again. Selah. Stop and think about that. Again, where, where I believe this takes us is back to the Garden of Eden. What, what did God do for Adam and Eve after he dealt with their sin? He covered them. He, he sacrificed an animal. Let's say it was a lamb. He, he killed a lamb and used that skin to cover their shame, their sin, and their nakedness. You know what that is? That is a perfect picture of what Jesus Christ did on Calvary's cross. He dealt with our problem that we could not deal with, which is a sin issue. The reason you have guilt, the reason you're not happy, is there's sin in your life. But God dealt with that sin. He, he did not just forget about our sin or brush it aside. He nailed it to the cross. He defeated it. I, I love this imagery. This verse says, you surround me with shouts of deliverance. You've been delivered. You've been set free. When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible said the last words that he cried out in a loud voice are, it is finished. Let me, let me draw this picture for you. Say somebody you love. I don't know, it's son, daughter, relative, neighbor, somebody you really care about has found themselves in some financial distress, and they're five months behind on their car payment. And, and you know the bank's about to take their car from them. So you get in your car, go to the bank, and you not only pay those five payments they're behind on, you just pay off the car. That's generous, isn't it? You did it for no reason, just because you love this person. And then a month later, you find that the, the bank has sent somebody else to, out to get the car. And, and, and so you drive over there as fast as you can, and when you get up there, you, you jump out in a loud voice. You say, you can't take that car. I've paid it in full. Are you with me? God did not just forget about our sin. God did not just brush our sin aside. He defeated it. He paid it in full. Your sin, my sin. Now listen to me. We all have these voices inside of us and outside of us condemning us of our sin. Jesus doesn't deny that what they are saying is true. In fact, sometimes those accusing voices are true. No, he doesn't deny the accusations against us. What does he do? He cries out in a louder voice, I have paid their sin debt for them. Devil, you have no more claim over their life. So let me say it like this. And Sherry, just leave this up here. The way to get rid of these internal voices of guilt is not to ignore them or even argue with them. No, you need to drown them out with the louder voice that comes from the good news of the gospel. What do I mean by that? Well, here's what I mean. The devil, who is our enemy, 
comes to us and says to us, you know what, you've really messed up this time. There is absolutely nothing good inside of your life. There's no hope for you now. And you say back to the devil, no. There is therefore now no condemnation in me because I belong to Jesus. The devil comes to you and says, you have no future. And you say back to the devil, here's what Jesus said. I know the plans I have for you to give you a future and a hope, to use you for good and not evil the rest of the days of your life. The enemy comes to you and says, you're a thief, you're a failure, you're a liar, you're untrustworthy. And you say, yeah, but Jesus said, and such were some of you, but you are washed, you are justified, you are sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So, the way to get rid of internal voices of guilt is not to ignore them or even argue with them, but you shout out louder the truth that is found in God's Word. So, do you want to be happy? Come on. Do you want to be happy? Happiness is found and forgiveness because happiness is from God now I have found that people generally fall into two different errors when it comes to God's forgiveness and mercy number one those who feel like they are so good that they don't need it or number two those who feel like they are so bad that they could never obtain God's mercy and in closing let me let me address those two errors number one for those of you who feel like you are good enough right now the way you are that you don't need God's forgiveness in a moment I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to pray that God would open your eyes and you see how wretched and how miserable and how poor and how blind and how naked you really are that you realize you are a sinner and you're in need of a Savior that you would see your life for what it really is it is a horrible mess it's a wretched mess. But God can change you. Just like that, he can wipe the slate clean. Or, to those who think you're so bad that you could never obtain God's deep forgiveness, I pray for you that God would open your eyes to that verse Miss Angie quoted to see how wide and how high and how deep and how long his love is for you. And how extravagant was his grace in sending his only begotten son to Calvary's cross for you. And how sufficient his sacrifice was for your sins. And how powerful his resurrection was to take your sins away and to change your life. Listen to me. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. If you come to God and confess your sins, he will forgive you. And he will change you. So, is something wrong with me? <laughs> is something wrong with you? Yes. But God's got the fix. So why don't you come to him?